Welcome to the Warrior Mindset Podcast. We are your guide as you make your way through life, getting better 1% every day. We believe that life is lived and true victory won through adversity. Nothing easy is ever worth it. We believe in the warrior ethos and support those that choose to walk that path. All right, everybody, welcome to Warrior Mindset. This is a live session with my friend Rob Parr from Dayton, Ohio. What's happening, Rob? Oh, just living the dream, Gene. <laughs> so before we get started, we have show sponsors. Please check them out. Tactic Calories. Man, Rob, I need to send you some of these things. They changed my life. Um, and Strike Force Energy. So the uh, links are linked up. Use Warrior Mindset when you check out. Give us a little kickback. We appreciate it. Welcome to the program, sir. Thank you. Glad to be here. This is going to be fun, I think. We'll see. Uh, I am look. I've been looking forward to some of this good old Midwestern uh, clear talk and advice you always give me every time we talk. Um, but let's tell them a little bit about you. What do you do? Uh, okay. So my name's Rob. Uh, <laughs> live in sunny Dayton, Ohio. Um, been here for a long time. Um, I think we moved to Dayton when I in '85 when I was a kid. Um, you know, so besides college, I've been here um, about 11 years ago. I started a company, a web development studio. Yes, sir. Um, called Sparkbox. Um, we've grown that to about 50 people. We've got offices here in Dayton, Pittsburgh, and remote people kind of sprinkled throughout the country. Mm-hmm. And we do all kinds of different web dev fun stuff. And that's how we met. Uh, in a former life, I used to produce, like six months ago, I used to produce um, web design events and things, and that's how we got to know each other. And yeah. and ever since then, I've, I've, you probably don't know this, I consider you a mentor, and I go to you for advice. Um, I, I go to the events you speak at, and you teach me very important things. Thank you. I appreciate <laughs> that. I I have a lot of fun. Like, yes. I've I've been speaking for a number of years, and... You know, like used to do technical talks and then, you know, several, about five, six years ago, I was like, I don't do a lot of tech anymore. I'm mostly <laughs> run, run the business. And right. so let's start talking about that because nobody else was. And yeah, people seem to dig it. Yeah, I did. Um, so along those lines, he's not he's not going to be uh, a bragging about his business, but his business is very successful. In an industry, if you're not familiar with the web design industry, because, um, you know, we've done web design podcasts forever. This is not a web design podcast, but um, if you're not familiar with the industry, it's very competitive. Uh, it changes, like, monthly, you know. Uh, in the past year or so, I'd say it slowed down, but, I mean, there was a time where it was literally every day there was some new thing out. You're like, crap, we got to learn this new stuff. Um, it's very rapid, very competitive. Um, you can kind of, you know, how you can slide into that mindset of worrying about your competition and, and kind of back-talking everybody and stuff. And you've always stayed above the fray when it comes to that, and, and I've always appreciated that in you. Um, yeah, I, you know, my assumption has always been and my mindset's always been with that is, you know, we all have different experience we bring to things, and we all have mm-hmm. different baggage we bring to things. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, you know, like... I can tell you how we do things and I can explain it and you can try to copy me. 
<laughs> but you're not going to outspark box me. You're not going to be able to do what I do better than I can. I love that um, saying. You can't outspark box me. That's yeah. awesome. So like, and I think that's true in so many different forms of things is like figuring out who you are and just owning it and just leaning into that. And, you know, like, of course we talk to clients and talk to people who are like, Oh, I don't really want what you do. It's like, great. Then I've been really clear about what we do and you understand that. And <laughs> right. like, we want to work for people who believe what we believe and that are into the things that we do. And I think that like, you know, it's a, like that whole kind of mindset allows like, like a quiet confidence about like, Hey, we know who we are. You know, if you're into it, work with us. If not, we're good. Yeah. I've got, I've got stuff we're doing. Oh. Um, so my goal is to generally make this as coronavirus a free podcast as possible. Um, Cause I think we're all getting enough of that um, in our face, but a lot of the stuff that, that you talk about, you can almost take under the same um, approach as what a lot of the business environment is right now. I mean, you, you sort of like, I'm sure you guys at Sparkbucks, it's like business as usual. Yeah, we're doing our best. Um, yeah. You know, we've got a couple offices that are shut down. Right. Not People aren't there at the office, but we're continuing right. to they do great work. work. Yeah. Um, you know, we're lucky that we're an internet company and we can mm-hmm. keep doing the things that we do. Right, right. Um, all right, so... Let's go through some of these. I sent you some topics, and I really want to want to just kind of kind of jam a little bit with you here on some of these things because I think I think there's some things here that we've never talked about before that I'm interested yeah. in learning from you, and then there's things that we have covered before. I've heard you cover in, um, in some of your talks. So let, let's start here. Um, I, I know you guys do this um, taking ownership, right? Um, yeah. I don't know if you're familiar with Jocko. Um, I'm a Jocko. Um, acolyte, I would say. Um, I follow him. He has that book, Extreme Ownership. Um, how does how does ownership affect you as a leader? How does ownership affect that trickle down to your employees? Because by the way, this guy has like you have like fifty employees. Yeah. Web designers, God help you. Um, anyway. Yeah, I mean, I think that like when we talk about those kinds of things, I think it's just I've always been of the mindset that at least with my company and even my own life um, before I was, you know, had my own company kind of going was if things are broken, then it's probably my fault Mm -hmm. and it's my job to fix it. And I think that even gets ramped up more when we talk about like Sparkbox and the company that I run, like, you know, um, I'm ultimately where the buck stops and Mm. I'm really comfortable with that. And if something gets passed, you know, all of the different people that I've empowered to make decisions and do things, that's still my fault because like I, my name's on the door and there's right. something, there's something to that. Right. Um, and I think that like that overall mindset kind of gets you out of the, the game of like, well, somebody else did that. Mm-hmm. And that may be true. Somebody else missed something or did something, but man, your name's on the checks, your name's on the door. You still have a lot to, right. lot to answer for in those ways. Right. It, and it's it's a fine line to walk between uh, taking ownership for you know downstream and not being an overpowering control freak. And I oh, know yeah. you're not that because we talked a lot about that. How do you balance that? How do you balance the ownership with 
letting people do the things they need to do. Well, I, for me, like, you know, we're, we're a decent you know, size studio at this point, still a small company with only 50, but like that's well beyond my capability of running everything day to day anymore. Um, you know, we found some great leaders that are able to take responsibility and with that comes accountability through that. Like you only, those two things are like connected in a way that can't be separated. And that's one of the questions that I always like to talk to people about is when they ask for, Hey, I'm ready for new responsibility. I'm like, okay, then the first thing we have to do is identify the accountability that comes with it. Like, how are we going to know that you're doing the things you're doing? And, you know, for our teams and our leadership teams, like one of the things I'm actively always working on is how do I support those leaders and empower them? You know, in my company, I don't need more authority. Like I own the thing, like everybody who works for me knows that I, you know, me and my business partner, Ben, we own the thing and we have all the authority we need. But if I'm going to empower other leaders to do things, I need to give them authority mm. and I need to set them up for success. And I think that the way you avoid some of the micromanagement stuff that you're talking about is you have to give people the ability, the, the, the framework to think through problems in their way and not necessarily the, all the solutions. So I think it's really, really easy. And I know that I made this mistake early on is somebody would come into my office and be like, hey, what do we do here? And I'd be like, well, just do this. This is obvious. Mm-hmm. And that helps them once. And that's really dangerous because right. they're probably going to overgeneralize that solution and apply it to other things because they don't have the framework yet. Right. But if we sit down and start talking about like, hey, let's build some scaffolding about how these decisions get made mm-hmm. and why it's important and give you a framework to make them, then next time you end up with that, you'll end up with a decision tree that you can walk through and probably get closer rather than just having the golden hammer of one one thing. I dig that. And like that's what I think like leading is, is empowering. And my rule for the most part is if somebody comes into my office and says, hey, what do we do about a thing? My first thing isn't to come up with an answer, which mm-hmm. like it, it's, it fights so deep inside of me. I want to be with the, <laughs> with the answers, yeah, right? Yeah. yeah, I always do. Yeah. It's like you look back and say, well, what would you do? Mm-hmm. What do you think we should do? And if like, you know, they come back and they say, well, this is what I think we should do. And the internal calculus that I always do is if I don't think that their way is going to fundamentally like destroy the business or it's like something that they're not considering. I'm like, Oh, okay, let's try that. And if we're wrong, we'll try something different. Right. Like, and they're like, well, do you want to communicate it or should I? And I'm like, no, you should definitely own this yeah. because you need the authority. How about you say it? And I support you. Yeah. Cause like clients tend to latch onto the first person that they, they work with. Right. Yeah. And that's important downstream that, they begin to connect with uh, people that work downstream from you, not just you, because there's only one of you. That's right. As soon How, as you step in, you have they've yeah. imprinted upon you. It's done. Yeah. So that that's the next part: detachment. Okay. Jocko likes the word dichotomy, um, and I do too. It's a good word. But detachment. How do you how do you detach um, for for that clear thinking and decision making from worrying about the machinations of the business? Yeah, I, I think so. You know, like when we started the business 11 years ago, like it used to be a labor of time. Mm-hmm. And it was something that, 
you know, be working 80 hours a week and you would just be pounding in time because that's what was required to survive. Mm-hmm. And what's happened over the years is it's become more of a labor of like being clear and having sharp focus for when I am working. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't work 80 hours a week anymore. Um, a lot of times I actually, you know, work less than 40. And I think that's okay because there is times when I'm spending you know, time away from the office, making sure that the ax is sharp for when right. things have to be done. And for me, about five years ago, I decided that I could no longer mortgage my health for the future. I couldn't just burn through all these hours. And, you know, I kind of let my health go a little bit. So I was like, okay, how do I make changes? And now I have an entire schedule that I keep where I lift four days a week. I do yoga one day a week. I do hit a couple times and like, like mm-hmm. you know, in the summers I play golf and I do these things that, you know, that give me both time to disconnect that, you know, like there's just no thinking about work when you're under, you know, doing a heavy squat yeah, or you, some of the other things, right? Like everything else disappears. It can kill you. Yeah. yeah. And, but that gives you time that when you come back to do that work, you can do that intense focus thing because what I found is, you know, as we've grown, the organization has changed that, like every problem that ends up on my desk is really nasty. Like the old adage that poop rolls downhill, right? <laughs> I think that's wrong. I think right. actually it goes, like, it goes uphill. Yeah. And the stuff that ends up on my desk are things that nobody else wants to touch. Mm-hmm. They're all third rail problems. And it should be. Right. And so basically what my job is a lot of times is psyching myself up and being ready to grab that third rail over and over and over again and do the things that's not popular and do the things that have to be done Mm -hmm. to make sure we're making improvements. And Mm -hmm. like that takes a lot more mental headspace than working even, you know, 60 some hours of just pounding through work. Right. That's, that's important. Um, Yeah. So it's really important that I learned a long time ago, because when I first started my business, I did not have thick skin. Um, I let I let a lot of things get to me, um, and over the years I've kind of figured out how to carry a level of zen with some of this stuff. Um, how, and I know you've got to have some of the thickest skin I've ever like talked to in a human being because you're just like, mm-hmm, cool. Now how we're we gonna do that? Um, is that just is that just your upbringing, that Midwestern guy, um, or is that is that something you cultivate? I think it's some of both. Mm-hmm. I think that. You know, my dad's got incredibly thick skin, and that's something that we had to have growing up. Something that kind of just <laughs> like it was required to live in our house. Like um, my wife, when we first started dating, even to this day, she'll tell you that um, my family's love language is picking on each other. Mm-hmm. Um, so <laughs> that that kind of comes with it a little bit, and I have to be careful not to fall into that with other people that right. I care for. Um, you know present company excluded of course (laughs) Uh, you seem to take it pretty well i will not hold anything (laughs) against you sir um but i think that it's a little bit of both like you know i think some of that's just having confidence and knowing that you know you've like you're you've thought through things and you're open to change you know Mm -hmm. like we spend our entire lives collecting both wisdom and baggage as we go through things and i think that it takes a lot of deep thought to know the difference between those two and things that we've sure we've learned 
we have to be open to be completely wrong about. And I think that's really, really important because otherwise we end up in a place where you'll eventually let the past decisions you've made and experiences you've had dictate where you're going in the future. Mm-hmm. And there's nothing that scares me more than letting, you know, me who I know wasn't, you know, wasn't as smart and prepared for life as I am today because I'm constantly learning and evolving, letting those decisions and experiences dictate what I do in the future. Um, so with that, like I'm prepared to be wrong about everything, mm-hmm. but I'm also going to move with purpose and I'm going to make decisions and I'm going to not be afraid to take the right appropriate amount of action when I have to. And, you know, I think there's a big difference between like how we make decisions and when, like I like to think about things and making decisions in the last responsible moment, which isn't the last possible moment, but it's Mm -hmm. like, when does that decision actually have to be made? When is the best information available and when, like you'll know that it's the last responsible moment is when other options that you possibly could want to take will eliminate themselves. That's how you know you're at that moment. Hmm. I think that's the right time to act. And like humans, and I'm guilty of this too, we feel good when we're checking things off our list, right? Like I got this done. I got this done. I got this done. Yay. I'm making progress. That may not be progress. Sometimes progress is waiting for better information. I love the, there's a quote, uh, and I don't remember who said it and I probably going to kill it, but it's um don't uh don't mistake movement for progress. Yeah. And I love that one. Um we use that in the gym a lot and I use and I think about that a lot for business. Like don't mistake just being busy with actually making progress in your in your in or on your business. Yeah, I completely agree. So part of this, uh, I'm gonna skip ahead a little bit if you follow along, but part of this is um letting go. Right? Now I cannot let things go. <laughs> I'm not like the type of person that holds a grudge necessarily. I'm not like, like, hey, I remember this guy said this thing, so next time I see him, I'm going to tell him. Like, it's not that level, but things in business, like projects that I never, that never quite worked out right, or like maybe a line of business, maybe it was like a whole event business. Like, I just, I have a hard time letting things go. Um, positive, negative, interpersonal. How do you how do you work on that? How do you let things go? I I think it's a matter of just surviving. Like you're only as good as your last project, your last whatever. And I think that's one of the things that keeps I love you going. that mindset, man. That's why you're on this show. Um, I it's I think you have to. Like I think there's this, and I'm going to mm-hmm. butcher a quote for you too. Um, <laughs> like there's this whole thing in Agile, right? Like which is a framework we use to do some of our work, which is. You know, we're going to assume that everybody did the best they could with the information they had available at the time they had it, and they had their best interests in mind. And I think we can assume that until people prove otherwise. And I think that, like, once somebody proves and shows you who they are enough times and that they're not working with the best interest of everybody in mind, that's somebody you can cut out. Um, but until then, you just you have to assume it's like, hey, you did the best you could with what we knew at the time. Let's just do better. Right, right. And, and you have to maintain that certain level of detachment and connectedness in order to actually let that person, to cut that person out or move on. Yeah. And like for me and my teams, what I actually ask, and this is something I say all the time, is what I'm really asking us to do is to make better and different mistakes than we've made in the past. <laughs> better and different. Explain that. Yeah. Like I think that one of the things that drives me bonkers is that we would continue doing the same thing over and over and over again oh, and right. expect different results. And like, 
you know, we're not going to do everything perfectly in the future. I know we're not, but let's at least make different mistakes. Let's learn other lessons because there's <laughs> lessons there. Fun. Yeah. Right. Like, you know, and it's like, well, would we want to do the right thing? Well, of course we would, but we don't know what those things are yet till we get the results. Right. So if we go in and say that, hey, mistakes are going to happen, let's just make sure they're different ones. Let's fail differently. Let's make that. better ones. So are people inherently good or inherently bad? People are inherently human, which ah, makes like them neither. Like, you know, there is people's bad or good is a lot of context dependent things. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's like when you think about when I think about humans and I think about like there is good, there's bad, there's selfish, there's selfless, there's all these things. And it's all in the cake mix all the time. And you have to kind of consider the context that they're making this decision. And, you know, it's not bad, good or indifferent. It's just they're being human. Mm. Sounds like keeping that balanced path is, is central to who you are. I, I think it has to be. Yeah. It, 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 I, I'm a pretty logical person and I want to see the world in black and white and, yeah, when I was younger, I definitely looked a lot more things black and white than I do now. Like I see a lot of gray and I see a lot of, mm. Mm, it depends. And, you know, like there's a lot more nuance in the world now, but <laughs> I still think that like the things that look like misunderstanding or things that we can't quite put our finger on are merely things that, you know, we just don't understand the complete picture of. It's funny what experience teaches you, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> um. All right how we're talking about that balanced path and I, I know you, you mentioned it. I know you, um, I know you've taken up uh, weightlifting and you've done some high intensity stuff and, and you've trained. I mean, literally like I didn't see you for like six months and I saw you again and I was like, Whoa, dude's ripped. Like, I know you're like, whatever dude, but like what happened? I mean, what happened to get you on that path? Um, I was always pretty active growing up. And like I mentioned a few minutes ago, like you're a swimmer, right? I was a swimmer. I was yeah. a swimmer. Um, you know, My last guest on the show was a, was a, is a swimming coach. It's kind of weird. Yeah, I was a decent swimmer. Um, you know, and like in high school, I was actually a pretty good swimmer. And then my body changed kind of pretty quickly. My junior year of high school, oh. um, I went into high school about one fifteen, mm-hmm. hundred fifteen pounds, five eight. I graduated six foot two hundred. Um, you know, and most of that happened my junior year. And <laughs> you know, my swimming ability, like. I can still swim. I can still hang with commoners, but, you know, went from being pretty good competitively to being a rather large load to move in the pool. Got you. Um, And, you know, and kind of fell out of some of the fitness stuff over the years. And as we started running a business, we'll do that. Oh, it will. And, you know, like I'm a big believer in like this whole work life balance thing is always really bothered me. We only have one bucket of energy to pull from for all of it. Right. And it's more like budgeting than balance. Um, and it's like anytime you can give attention to something, then, you know, like you're taking away from something else because there's only one right. total number of hours and bucket of energy to pull from. Um, and I was overloading my work bucket for wow. years, gotcha. um, you know, and I got pretty out of shape and pretty heavy. And I kind of had a moment where I was like, I can't do this anymore. Like if all the things that I'm working to build won't be worth it if I'm destroyed physically. Yeah. yeah or gone. Yeah. Or gone. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. And I want my kids to 
like remember me and i've got you know i've got two kids and mm-hmm. i love them and i want them to I want to be here for them and like so i decided that i needed to make some really really radical changes mm-hmm. um and you know i hired a coach and i still work with him it's been almost five years i'm still working with him today um, he still does my programming. We were texting a little bit ago about my next cycle that's coming up after this one. And, yeah. you know, and it's been pretty awesome um, just to kind of have that in my life, um, both from uh, like what it's done physically to me. That's where I was going. But also the mental part of it, of just being able to handle things and right. having that like that focus when I need it. How like, do you how do you harness those those difficult workouts, those moments when you're like, you know, that you know, you're talking about a deadlift, that jump from say three seventy five to four hundred or wherever you are, that's a big one and it takes some grinding and some work and commitment to get over that. How do you harness that and apply it to um the spark box? Yeah. Um so you know this about me, but you know, for those of you who don't, I'm a grinder. Um, you know, my business partner is the visionary. He is the big idea person. He is the person who loves to come up with new ideas and chase mm-hmm. new things. I'm a maintainer um, or an implementer or whatever you want to call it. Gotcha. So I love the grind. Um, I love the grind of business. That's why I was a good swimmer is because you just put laps in. You're constantly putting laps in and you feel the burn and you just constantly do it. I love that about weightlifting because it is a grind but it is a place you can go that you can prove your, prove your mental toughness. Like, you know, like mm-hmm. do all workouts great? No, they're not. That's yeah, not how it works. They hurt. Right. There's, there's pain involved, right. but you know what? The feeling you get on the other side of that and where you're going, like, uh, and I think this is true in the business and this is true in the gym. You can't fall in love with the results. You have to fall in love with the process. If you can fall in love with the process, the results become a byproduct and you will get where you're going. And with for the in the gym and in my business, I love the process of maintaining the systems and the programmatic parts of those things because I know that if I focus and love those, the results are just going to be a byproduct and they're going to happen. That's incredible. Yeah, get in the gym. <laughs> if you're like if you're struggling in your business or whatever problem you're trying to solve, and it's just over and over and over the same thing. Add that physical aspect to it. Um, yeah. I mean, aside from it physically changing your life, it will change your outlook and the way you approach business. It will. And I think my, the favorite quote I've seen recently about that is uh, Tony Gentlecore, um, one of the fitness guys that I follow, basically said, Hey, I'm here to settle the argument. The best set set scheme you'll ever see is three by fifty two. He's like, go to the gym, go to the gym three times a week, every single week, and your life will change. And whatever you do will work Mm -hmm. because the consistency adds up. There's a lesson there about the consistency too, is that if you say, I'm going to do this three or four or whatever, three days a week, and then you do it, like building on that, and then you're in your head supplementing this fact that you are doing what you said you would do and you're building on that momentum that spills over into the rest of your life i mean how often and i'm not you know i've got examples i'm not asking for an example this is a rhetorical question but how often do you say you're going to do something and then you just don't do it and you let time slide by you kind of half-ass even thinking about it anymore and then before you know it it's just gone yeah i mean 
And then think about, that's just your, your life at home or whatever. Think about when you do that in business and then suddenly six months goes by and you haven't worked on your business at all and you pay the price. Adding that physical aspect, I mean, for me, I know it sounds like for you, that really helps reinforce doing what you said you do. Yeah, I think it is. I think it's just, you know, it's the reminder every time I go to the gym that I can do hard things. Mm -hmm. Things will pay off, um, you know, and it's a process. Yeah, and it doesn't take as long as you feel like it's going to take in the moment. Like, it doesn't take that long. When you think of, like, you're going to live for 80, 90 years, six months to get a little payback. Like, it's not that long in the grand scheme of things, no. but we lose so sight of that. Um, anyway, that's why I love you. So here's the thing, uh, and, and part of that. So there's a metaphor here with the hard physical working out and business, which is hard mental working out every day, is that when, you, when you're consistent, you set milestones, you have goals, you start hitting those. How do you then push through to get to the next milestone? How do you then push through to keep the bigger picture in focus? Um, how do you do that? I, I think it's both having those long-term goals. I, I always tell the guy that I work out with that we're going to get to where we're going. We're going to get there. And, you know, it's about consistency and it's about pushing through those things. And it's about being able to have both those long-term things that I'm pushing towards that I'm trying to achieve mm -hmm. as well as, you know, achievable goals, right? Like the whole idea of having both aspirational goals and achievable goals all at the same time that we can be able to track that progress as we go. Um, you know, I think that one of the things that I like to say a lot is I think one of the ways to be disappointed in life is to always chase things that you're sure you can catch. Like Ooh. sometimes it's really good to chase things that you're not sure you can catch because the pursuit of that, the process of that will prove out who you are and what you can do and what you're made of. And I think that's actually some of the most fun I ever have is when I set goals that I'm not sure I'm going to get to, uh -huh. but I know that the process is going to make me better trying to go through that. Um, and I think that I can give examples of doing that in the gym and I can give examples of doing that in business. Like I couldn't imagined having 50 employees 11 years ago. Like it was right. just too big of a jump from where I was. Right. But as we got closer and closer to those goals, you can always see those next two humps, right? Like I always talk about this idea of like wherever you are, it's really easy to envision getting to the next two milestones. And that's great because those become your achievable goals. But where is your aspirational goal then? Where is the things that you're actively going to try to get to? And, you know, like may, may, you might get there, you might not. You may even change your goal before you right. get there. But it sets direction. I like that. That is awesome. So uh, a, a, another mentor of mine, Mark Devine, I've talked to you a lot about him, um, ex-Navy SEAL, all that stuff. He talks about micro goals. So he tells a story about being in uh, his uh, SEAL training, and one of the, and this is like a great metaphor for business, right? Because one of the he said one of the first things they do is, you know, there's a hundred, I don't know, like a hundred of these candidates on the beach, and then the 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 SEAL instructor runs up and he's like, "We're going on a run," and they start running, 
and they have no idea how long they're running. And they, the guy's really fast, and they run for like two miles. They run for the fourth mile, seventh mile. Like by mile 10, they're like, what the hell are we doing? But he said throughout the whole thing, all he would do was after, you know, when he started getting tired, he was thinking, I'm just going to run to that hill. Yep. And then I'm just going to run to that signpost, and I'm going to run past that guy. And he just kept, kept growing and growing and growing. But he had no idea where the destination was. Yeah. Right? And it's, it's kind of like, like what the hell we're doing here. It's life, right? It's life. I mean, life is about the journey, not about the destination. And, like, I think that we get so obsessed with being someplace or being where we're supposed to be or achieving something that we actively forget that we're humans on this planet bumping into other humans mm-hmm. and we're just trying to live. And I think with what we have going on right now, we're really starting to see that. Everybody's kind of learning that lesson their own hard way. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and just what that feels like when we don't do that anymore. And I think that with all this stuff, it's so, so easy to try to make things more complicated. Right. And it drives me bananas mm-hmm. because like, like getting strong isn't that complicated. It's not easy, right? but it's not that complicated. That's right. Running a business, it's not that hard, but it requires discipline. Mm-hmm. And like one of my, like, so like you mentioned earlier, like I do quite a bit of speaking and I love like mixing in some of my favorite, like, you know, uh, strength and conditioning coaches sayings into my talks now and one of my favorites is dan john which is don't confuse simple with easy right like we can keep things really simple and it's repeatable and that's true in business that's true with getting strong like the the ideas of progressive overload and picking up heavier things for more sets more time and all those other things are not that complicated but that does not make it easy and we have to keep doing those things and it's like and like maybe i'm fortunate that I have that grinding mentality, but like our business isn't that complicated, but yeah. I'm disciplined to stick with it and do the simple, easy thing, do the simple things over and over and over and over again, because they work. Mm-hmm. And the same is true in the gym and it just requires yeah. showing up every day. So, uh, yeah, I, man, I'm, I'm talking to you now. I can't remember who that was. Um, somebody was just like, uh, who was that? It was somebody we know. Maybe it was Jay. I'm not sure, but uh, he was saying, like, you want a tip? You want a business tip? The world's going to shit. You want a business tip? Just start calling your call your clients. Just call them. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, holy crap, he's right. Because, like, what we want to do when things start getting bad or whatever is just is cover our head, you know, what is it, the ostrich sticks his head in the sand. Like, that's what we want to do. But, like, just reach out to them, tell them you're here, tell them you're checking on, whatever it is you do for them, you got that covered. It's yeah. worth its weight in gold, man. It is, and I think it's important for our teams, too. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, like you want to know why you want to invest in your teams and your people is so that when you get in situations like this, that you can do something with it, right? Right. Like, you've built trust, like client relationships. And all human relationships have this foundation of trust is what you're actually trying right. to produce. And you can do every decision you make and every word you say has the ability to either build trust or erode trust. Mm. And how do we make sure that we're choosing to build trust if we want to invest in humans in the relationships that exist? Because you know, none of us are getting out of this alive. Not this situation, right. but just life, right? Yeah. Like, all we have is each other and we need each other. We're an interconnected 
group of people or animals, right, that need each other to be able to do this and do it well. <laughs> yeah. And what we have to have is trust to be able to execute on those things. So we have to do that. And I think it's so easy to flippantly say things that are trust eroders when if we mm-hmm. thought about it like that, mm-hmm. you better believe we would change our words and change our attitudes. Hmm. That's cool. That's a cool course corrector. Um, you learn to systematize that. So it sounds like, I mean, you, you talk about, I mean, you're on the path, man. You're on the warrior path. You've been there. You're doing it. I'm impressed. Yeah, yeah. Take a, take a, take a slap. Um, so how do you maintain clarity? How do you, how are you, um, how do I put it here? How are you clear in mind in what you intend to achieve? It sounds like you are all the time. I mean, how do you stay on the path? I think that you just, like I said, I think it comes down to goal setting yeah, and just knowing what you're after. And I think if you combine goal setting, both the attainable and the aspirational, with the mindset that you're always open to be proven wrong about things you're even, that you're sure that you've learned, I think that sets us up really well to be adaptive. And I think mm-hmm. that's really it is – you know, you don't know where you're going to be. You don't know who you're going to be. Like, I'm a different person than I was 10 years ago. I'm a different person than I probably was five years ago. Right. And I kind of hope you will be a different person in five more years. Right. And I hope so. And, like, I have to believe that about humans because, like, there's two different, like, you know, you, there's three different ways, right? Like, either we're exactly the same person our entire lives, which means, man, we're really screwed up as a race. Yeah. You know, or second, we're getting dumber and worse. And I, can't choose i don't choose to believe that i don't think that's actually the case or that right. we have the ability to improve and if we have the ability to improve and to make better decisions and to learn things and to adapt our thinking and our actions going forward then we have to be committed to becoming better humans and you know like one of the things we talk a lot about at our company is in order to be a better company we actually all as individuals need to choose to be better humans I dig that. How do you do? You reward that in any way, or is that well, just like, hey, you do it? I, well, I think it's one of those things that like cultures have momentum, and if you can demonstrate that and lead from the top, people will buy in to what is there. Right? They will. They want to be a part of those things that are happening. Right. And you know, you can create those norms by creating momentum that people will fall in and do the easy thing, mm-hmm. right? Like if you have a culture of learning and that's learning is a cornerstone of who we are as a company or as a group of people or as a family, then people are like, well, this is obviously what's expected. Everybody else is doing it. Right. So let's just, and it, it grows. Right. I dig that. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of talk. You read articles and things about uh, like millennials. I, I get mad when people pick on millennials, but like, I mean, I'm not, I'm a Gen Xer, but like, I do get mad because, I mean, uh, most of the ones I know are, are they're working hard. They're kicking yeah. ass. They're, they're trying their hardest. Um, but there's a lot of articles about millennials and they want to work for a company that's like making impact or, or changing the world. And that's sort of like the vibe that you get when you read things about it. And I, but I think not just them, I use them as an example, but people want to be part of a movement or they want to be part of a business that 
is making a difference. And it doesn't have to be on a global scale. It can be interpersonal with the people in the business. It can be just the world around you. But, but people generally want to be part of something that feels good and is positive. They do. Everybody, humans desire to be part of something bigger than themselves. Mm-hmm. And they want to be part of that. And I think that that's, you know, across generations. And I agree. I don't like the the painting with the too broad of a paintbrush across generations because yeah, like every generation doesn't understand both their parents or their kids. And yeah. It's like, you know, I, the whole thing drives me crazy because yeah. like that removes responsibility to actually deal with the humans in front of you, mm-hmm. which is so, so important. Mm-hmm. And like they have individuals have concerns and have real feelings and like those feelings dictate their actions. So like, we can't ignore people's feelings and think they're disconnected from right. who they are right. because they're leading with those things. And what most people really want is to feel heard. Mm, I like that. And like, I think that if like some of the, the things that I read about millennials or boomers or whatever, like I'm a, I'm a, I'm probably one of the, youngest gen xers i barely make the cut gene so oh, okay you know, yeah yeah so <laughs> you and i are the same you're not on facebook i can't stop yeah, yeah. how old you are that's okay um <laughs> you know i'm probably one of the youngest gen xers but like you know like i i just think that like when we do that painting with generation stuff like like we check out from actually yeah. listening yeah and and like that's the biggest problem is like, like it's a self-fulfilling prophecy if i say well all millennials are like this then mm-hmm. i'm gonna not listen to them not listen to those humans sitting in front of me and then then we're screwed and you're just being a lazy person right yeah it's right yeah i i can't like i can't i i value people way too much yeah and humans way too much and care about them to like write off entire swaths of people (laughs) does apologizing show weakness no i think it shows strength yeah I think that, you know, I think you have to be in a place where th- that gets back to that whole thing about being wrong and being okay with being wrong and being okay with mistakes and taking ownership of things. Like, you know, I, I think that you have to be able to apologize and own your crap. Like, you know, and even like this whole idea of, and this gets into some other interesting places that I'm not sure you want to go, but. I think we got to be really, really careful and make sure that we're understanding not intent, but impact, right? Like Mm -hmm. we have to be able to talk to people and understand how our actions and words are impacting them. Okay. Not necessarily what our intent was, right? Like, and I think it's really easy to get messed up with that in apologies, right? So let's just, the, the, the best way I can illustrate this is like, you know, I'm walking onto an elevator and somebody's walking off with a scolding hot coffee, right? And I knock, I knock their coffee into them, right? And they're 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 burning, right? They're actively like got hot coffee all over them and they're okay. they're in pain, right? Like, I think it's if you're apologizing for intent, it's I'm sorry, I didn't mean to do that, or man, I can't believe you know, like you make it about you instead right. of. I just spilled scolding hot coffee on you. Are you okay? Yeah. Like your intent does not matter about the action, about the impact that on that person. Hmm. And I think you can extrapolate that to a lot of different places and different things where if we stop and think about how we're impacting the other person, 
rather than our intent, because our intent does not change their perception at all. It changes the way we would look and do things. And it makes you in a place where it's like, I'm actually open to learning and being wrong and being okay mm-hmm. with understanding how you are impacted as maybe a you know person who's from an underrepresented group or whatever else, right? Like there's right. tons of examples of this, yeah. but talking about impact rather than intent, because it's such a cop out to say, well, I didn't intend for somebody to get hurt. That doesn't mean somebody yeah. didn't. <laughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> that goes in the realm of the, uh, the shitty apology. <laughs> yeah. Like the fake apology just for business, right? I, I can't stand those either. Like if, if you don't sincerely mean it, then just don't tell me. Right. You know? And the only way you can sincerely, sincerely mean it is by understanding the impact to the person right. you're apologizing to. Right. Genuinely having the intent to get better as a person. That, yeah. That's how you make it sincere. Um, I think a lot of people struggle with that one. Um, they're like, yeah, sorry you misinterpreted my email. Yeah, I, I didn't mean to. It's like, okay, who cares how you what you meant? Yeah, well, I did. So what are we gonna do? Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. Because not everybody has those qualities. They're gonna let that stuff go, man. Like there are people in the world that will hold your mistakes against you for the entire career that you have um, in your business, and then hate your yeah. business. And yeah, you, you gotta but, you gotta you gotta play straight up, right? Yeah, but that gets right back to the thing we said earlier, right? Like, I can either assume that people are always gonna be the same, or they have the capability of actually learning and becoming better humans. I choose that people have the ability to become better humans because mm-hmm. it's the only way I think that I can live that like <laughs> doesn't leave me in a very frustrated, angry place all the time. <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah, I think that's what you're getting at. Mm-hmm. How do you evaluate opportunities uh, for your business or for your personally, like side projects? Um, I, I am admitting, you know this about me, but I have a hard time saying no. Like I, I wind up doing all kinds of stuff to help people, yeah. and I just get overwhelmed. And I, I do that in business. I've done that in business, and it's gotten me in trouble. Um, how do how do you personally, and then you, Sparkbox, choose your choose your opportunities? Yeah, I think that like one of the things that you know my company is tired of hearing me say is is the juice worth the squeeze, right? Like, how do we make sure that the thing we're doing is actually worth the time we're putting into it? Right. Um, and, you know, like, that's a good metric. But, okay, what do I mean? Um, you know, I think that for a company like us and for my life and for, I think, everyone's life is usually you have an overwhelming number of opportunities to do good in the world. Right. And those are all good things that you could be doing. Mm-hmm. but. Every single thing you say yes to means that you are saying no to hundreds of other unknown opportunities. And so you have to actually weigh those against the unknown sometimes because otherwise you won't have room to say yes to the right things. Hmm. How's that work? So I think that one of the things that I've been guilty of is saying yes, 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 and just taking all the opportunities that come to me and then another opportunity comes along that was actually something that I'd been chasing that I wanted and that I had to say no because I made too many commitments. Mm -hmm. That happens to me all the time. So like, I think it's the actual hard work of saying of like, okay, is this the right opportunity for the moment? Um, And I think it comes from like this whole idea of like where that energy goes. Right. Like, and I think that I'm, there's something that I've learned the hard way is, you know, I need to reserve 
energy and time for the people that I live with that should be the most important because it's really easy for me to say yes to a whole bunch of good things, good things in the world and good things for other people that will take away and steal their time. So how do I protect their time and also a little bit of sanity bucket for me that I can say yes to the, an amazing opportunity because I will overcommit and I'm, I'm really bad at it sometimes. I will overcommit into other people's time or people that deserve my time if I'm not careful. And what that means is I say no a lot more than I say yes anymore. So have you just gotten good at hearing yourself say no? Like, I think that I've actually started to default to no unless <laughs> there's a reason to say yes. I got you. So I think it's like – Well, thank I you think, for being on my podcast. Well, you're welcome. Like, <laughs> we're friends. Like, uh, you wanted an hour. I got yeah. an hour. I got an hour for friends. Like, that's – but like, it'd be really easy to say yes to a whole bunch of things that wouldn't allow me to do right. this. Right. You know, like it's really important for me to stay in contact with people and to support what they're doing. And, you know, I always love talking to you anyway. So, but you know, I think that like, I've had to flip my mindset of like, you know, no is sometimes okay. And so you have switched it to where you're now thinking about it in terms of, uh, I don't know. Let me see if I can lay this out, right? Because it kind of jives with how I've started thinking about it. And I think I picked this up from you from your last workshop. But So you have time. Just I can't do that right. Time is like a bucket, right? Or it's a, a level. Yeah. And anytime you, you do something else, you're taking out of it. So you are in a mindset of protecting what's in there. Yeah. For when you need it. For a loved one or a big project at work or like a thing you have to solve or your personal health or whatever those things are, you're protecting that stash so that you have it when you want to apply it to something else. Yeah, no, that's absolutely right. Like I'm, I'm a rut person. Like I love my rut. Me too. I eat the same thing for breakfast. I get up at the same time. I do the same. I love (laughs) to work out at the same time. Like even like, I know we're not talking about current events, but like, you know, I go to the gym from 9 to 10 on Tuesdays and Thursdays. Mm-hmm. I'm waking up and lifting 9 to 10 on Tuesdays and Thursdays, even though that I'm home in my home gym. Like, you know, the only difference, I think, between, you know, a rut and a groove is perspective. And, like, you know, it's okay. to Like, I love having those patterns because, mm-hmm. for me, having those patterns allows me to, like, have my brain work on actually unique problems. I'm not thinking about what I'm having for breakfast. I'm not thinking about right. like what time I'm working right. out. I'm not thinking about what's for lunch, right? Like my brain can actively work on unique problems that I need to solve rather than like where I'm going to get coffee. Like, right. you know, like, like, like it's, and I, I realize that I'm in danger sometimes of becoming overly robotic with some of that stuff. Well, as long as you're not Steve Jobs wearing the same turtleneck and, and crappy acid wash jeans and white sneakers every day. I, mean, I get I don't close. Know. I get close, man. <laughs> Me too. Like, like I was, it was not too long ago. There's a coffee shop that I go to almost every single morning. And the other, like a couple weeks ago, before all this crap started, I was riding into the office with my business partner, Ben. And he's like, you want to get coffee? And I'm like, yeah, absolutely. We go get coffee. And he decided to go to a different coffee shop and turned like, a, took like, you know, we were almost to the one place and turned down the road and he looked at me to see my reaction and my face just fell. And I was like, 
I caught myself like, oh god, I'm doing it. Like I'm like I'm visibly upset because my little bubble goes somewhere new. <laughs> he seems like the type of guy that goes somewhere new every day. He totally is. And yeah, he, yeah. he knows that about me. That's probably why we work well together, but he likes to poke at it. Paula Abdul, man. Opposites attract, bro. I guess. <laughs> um all right. So I like that. I'm I'm gonna start thinking about that. I think if you think about it from a defensive standpoint, um, that you're protecting what you have versus um, letting someone down, that you'll be a little more protective of that time um, and maybe use it more appropriately and not just give it away freely. Because this is what you're doing. I mean, you're giving away from one thing to the other. Yeah. And you really have to balance that. That's right. Yeah. All right. Um, cool. So we talked a little bit about all of those things. So parting shot, though um, – and you you alluded to this earlier, work life balance. Yeah, I've I don't have employees at the moment, um, but I have over the years. I mean, I've my web design company. We've been in business for fifteen plus. Yeah, wow, um, and you know you don't start. We're not the same thing we were when we first started that we are now. I mean, now we're just two two dudes. Me and my partner Greg. We've had employees, and I, I've had some over the years. Uh, bring this concept to me, you know, work-life balance. I've, I'm, I'm working all the time. I want to, like, I need social interaction. Like, yeah. what do I do? And it's never because I've, like, forced them to be here 24 hours a day. Um, people like to work, especially when yeah. you like what you do. But I also think work-life balance, my personal opinion, it's, it's kind of BS, um, that concept, because – you you had a great you had a great yeah. explanation yeah i think that work-life balance assumes that you have two discrete buckets to do that um you know like that we're humans are able to you know to separate those things and they're not like there's one in right. one bucket of energy to pull from yeah um you know i think that i'm really lucky that i get to do something that i love that you know pays me well and you know i make a living to take care of my family at mm-hmm. but like you know one of the things that we actually talk about a lot at our company and one of the reasons we started it was to take care of our families and that's become an extension of that is to take care of you know all of our employees and their families like right you know our goal is to have happy healthy well-adjusted humans and families a spark box and that includes like this whole idea of like you know we work hard and play hard mm-hmm. and you know like it's we don't have a typical culture where people are working all hours of the night. Like you walk through our offices at five thirty, and if you're there, if you're there at five thirty, you're one of the last people there. People go mm-hmm. home, right? You know, and they have that flexibility, and they can do the things they need to do, and like that basic mentality of like, let's do awesome work for our clients, and then let's go home. And like you that. have you have other interests, you have other things you want to do, um, go do those, and like you know, like what's the point of like having success if you have no freedom. <laughs> I dig it. I dig it. Jocko says discipline equals freedom. Oh. Right? So, yeah. yeah. And you're sort of like the, the, the landlord of the discipline at the office, right? I mean, you have to be. So you've clearly, sounds like you've developed that culture where everyone's doing what they got to do. Um, how, do you, how do you help maintain that? I think it's about setting focus and clearly setting expectations. I think clear expectations are kind to people. If you mm-hmm. don't clearly set expectations and tell them what's expected, 
then you're relying on them making perfect decisions and that's not fair. And then you have no room to be upset with people unless you've clearly set what the focus and expectation is. Mm -hmm. So I spend a lot of my time making sure that we're all on the same page, setting focus, right? Like that way, like, because like if we give people that responsibility to chase things we're focused on, there can be accountability. And I think those two things are intrinsically linked in a way. Um, and I think it's really, it's so easy to be like, well, you know, we all know what's going on or and this gets yeah. kind of communication stuff. And like, you know, just a small tangent. Like if you're not really clear in your communication, people are going to write their own story and the mm -hmm. stuff they're going to write in their own heads is bananas. Right. And that's you, like the first rule of branding, right? Yeah. You'd yeah. rather them have the truth and all be on the same page than have a bunch of discrete stories that don't make any sense. Right, right. So like, you know, that's what I spend my time on is like, hey, this is what the expectation is for this. This is the things we're measuring. This is what we care about. Because um, what gets measured gets done. And I think that like you that's have a good to, quote. <laughs> and I think that we can provide direction to people by saying, hey, these are the three or four things we're going to measure. Because as soon as humans have more than four, four or five things that are being measured on, they will pick and choose which ones to prioritize. Ah. If you do less than that, you can actually say, hey, I'm measuring you on these three or four things. They will get them done. There's no fudging those things. This is what drives the business forward. This is what I'm going to hold you accountable to. This is what you're responsible for. Go do them. Hmm. How much of your time, day to day, week to week, month to month, whatever, are you spending sort of actively thinking about these things, writing them down or whatever, and not, uh, or doing, like just doing, like the. It, it varies, like I said, um, it used to be a large, large percentage of my time. Um, you know, 11 years in with a pretty darn good leadership team, mm -hmm. you know, I spend most of my time supporting them, um, helping them like, like I was mentioning earlier, provide that framework and how to think about things and how we want to make sure that we have the same mental model. Um, and, you know, that's just not always me providing them a mental model anymore. Right. That's us developing a mutual mental model between us um, so that we have the same understanding and the same metrics that we're making decisions on. Um, huge part of my job is to lead that team and to build consensus among it so that they can make decisions and work effectively together. Hmm. It's part of, it goes back to the very first question, ownership. You are the man. Um, I hope that uh, if you've been listening to this for the past hour, we're closing in on an hour. You've gotten a lot out of this. I have, this has been like a really great uh, session. <laughs> I feel like I should send you, I should pay you for your, for your time. Cause you just uh, gave me a lot of, uh, clarity on some things i appreciate it um we i greatly appreciate all the people watching tuning in i know you got a lot of stuff going on and spending your time with with me and rob today it's been awesome having you here um rob i really appreciate it thank you uh i hope i can get you back sometime soon and we can check in on yeah, some things again absolutely um, always love your insight sir always love your advice and i appreciate you thanks gene love you too man all right guys.